Let's go to God in prayer, then I want to jump into our lesson for us today. Almighty God, thank you so much for this time we have together. Thank you for the opportunity we had earlier to give to the relief uh, fund, but also thank you for just seeing the excitement of uh, our evergreen ministry people up smiling, up singing, up doing things, Father, because there is no excuse not to be happy in you. Father, thank you so much for all you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's jump into this. Have you guys ever bought anything generic, a generic product? Absolutely. We all do. We go to the pharmacy, and we ask for our medication, and either you can pay $237 for the brand name or $15 for the generic brand. So what do you do? You get the generic brand. We do it quite often. We go to the store. I go there and I'm like, do I want this Allegra for $75 or the CVS brand for $15? I'm getting the CVS brand. That's what we do because sometimes it seems acceptable for substitutes. Sometimes there's some things that are generic that are so similar to what the other brand name is offering, there's almost no difference at all. But of course, that's not always true. You know, centuries ago, People used to make all their food in their homes. And then it got to the point where we started manufacturing different food. And so all these companies that are manufacturing, they were just concerned about making money. So they started mass production of different things. Let me give you an example. Cash money-hungry bakers saved money by adding sulfur of copper to the dough that they would make. Dairymen sold cream thickened with flour watered down milk, and often added chalk or plaster to perk up the color of the milk that came from diseased cows. And we're wondering why people are getting sick nowadays. To stretch sugar, grocers would often add sand to that sugar. Merchants would sometimes put together a collection of calcium, gelatin fat, and mashed potatoes, that they passed as butter. Once they started making mass production of things, they started adding to them and putting more things in there to expand what it is just so they can make more money. So sometimes substitutes can be as good as the original and sometimes not as good. Turn your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 2. The Israelites at this time had gotten into a habit of accepting Substitutes for God. Jeremiah chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 11. In Jeremiah 2 verse 11, the Bible says, Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. Israel had accepted substitutes for God. Look at verse 13. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. God says the people committed two sins. One, they forsaken me. They knew he was God, the one true God, but they left him alone. And then they started building their own systems. 
Now, a cistern is a reservoir for storing water. It's just a place you would do. For example, uh, in a house, you can have a cistern next to the house that water will be stored in there, and then that water can be pumped from that cistern to the house. In the Midwest and down south, you may drive into a town and you'll see a big water tower, and it has the name of the city printed on it. What happens is there's certain parts of the day when the whole city starts to use water, and it's so much that they can't handle it, they draw water from those water towers during that time. That way they can meet the needs. And then later on, that water tower is filled back up. All this time, though, that water is just sitting there, stagnant, not moving. So sometimes we would turn on our faucet and the water would be brown or kind of rusty color. That's because that cistern water is stagnant. It's just been sitting there for a while, and then it gets turned on and comes through there. What God is saying here is that the Israelites have rejected, forsaken him, the one that provides a living water, and instead they like that stagnant, comfortable cistern water. And this is what he explains to them. You would think, now why would they do that? Why would they prefer some old, rusty, dirty, stagnant water that just sits there to the fresh, living water that God provides? Well, again, the answer is right here in verse 13. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and then here's the reason, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. It says here that they've dug their own cisterns that hold their own water. In other words, they didn't have to ask anybody, especially God, if they can have this water or when they can have this water or how they can have this water. They felt like this is now mine. And so I don't have to ask anybody. I like being comfortable. I like being in control of things. I like it my way. Now, look at what God says here in Isaiah 55, the book right before Jeremiah. Isaiah 55, verse 1. Are y'all with me here so far? I'm kind of painting a picture for us here. Isaiah 55, verse 1. This is God's words. He says, come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. He's saying, now wait a minute. If I can get this water, and it doesn't even cost me anything, oh, I like that. You know, we all like free stuff. Even if it's something you don't need and somebody says it's free, you take it. Because in your mind you're thinking, somewhere down the line I may need it, so let me just get it now. And that's what people do. They say, oh, Jesus died for me. I can have my sins forgiven. I can go to heaven. Oh, I like that. And it don't cost me. I like that. So that's why there's so many people who say they're Christians, so many people who say they love God, because they like what's offered. But then look at the price you have to pay. In verse 2, why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good. And your soul will delight in the riches of far. Give ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. Even though this is a free thing we can have, there is a condition to it, to have God's living water. That condition is we have to come to him 
And we have to listen to him. Look over in John chapter 7. John 7, verse 37. This is Jesus as he's preaching to everybody here in John 7, verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures have said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up until that time, the Spirit had not yet been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. So Jesus is preaching, and he's teaching the people, if you come to me, if you listen to me, if you follow me, you will have streams of living water. Now, before this time, nobody had the Holy Spirit in them because it didn't come until Jesus died. And then when Jesus died, now the Holy Spirit can be a part of you if you're baptized as a disciple for the forgiveness of your sins and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Bible says. Go baptize disciples in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So if a person is not a baptized disciple according to the Bible, they do not have the Spirit of God in them. And so he makes this clear. If you aren't following what I say, then you are not getting living water. You are stagnant spiritually. You are your own sister. In other words, you just want to be comfortable. See, there is no such thing as a comfortable Christian. Well, let me say it like this. There is a comfortable Christian, but there's no such thing as a comfortable disciple of Jesus. See, there's a difference. You can say you're a Christian, or you can say I'm a disciple of Jesus. Because you look at Jesus' life, there was nothing comfortable about him. Think about it. Everywhere he went, he had demons screaming at him. Like real demons. I know we think we see demons. He had like real demons foaming and coming at him. He had people, thousands following him, asking to feed him. He sat down to try to have a Bible talk, people coming through the roof to come down and sin. There was nothing comfortable. He had to get up early in the morning just to pray. Why it was still dark. See, if you follow Jesus, your life is not going to be comfortable. And a lot of times, Christians like being comfortable. How many stagnant Christians are there? Because they don't like for things to change. We're going to change up our Bible talks. Oh, Lord, no. Why are we doing that? This is no longer the kingdom of God. What is going on? People start to freak out when there's a little bit of change. Why? Because I'm not comfortable with that little bit of change. We don't have any idea the results of that change. We just don't want things to change because we've built our own system. We like the pattern we're in. We don't want you changing it. We don't want no problems. Who's this guy coming in here talking about give a dollar more contribution? Who's this guy coming in here talking about changing the Bible talk? We have Bible talk all my Christian life. Nobody's saying we're never going to do that. But what I'm saying is we got to do what the Bible says and continue to teach each other to obey the word of God. There was an article about Superman in the papers. It seems that Superman had fallen on some hard times. 
Even though as a cartoon character he is the icon of DC Comics, he trails behind Batman in popularity. See? At DC Comics, the illustrator of Batman, the comic series, was asked to take over the artwork of Superman. And he said he looked at this as a serious challenge. Batman is more of a modern-day type character. Batman is fueled with vengeance. He's the boogeyman, the dark knight. Superman is like this alien hero. He's like God. He's up out there waiting to protect us all. And it's difficult to make that believable today because so many people are caught up in vengeance and getting revenge and the dark night instead of somebody here to protect and help and serve us. At the end of the article, he writes this. He says, Superman is a metaphor for America, but an outdated, obsolete America, invulnerable to attack, always on the side of right, always ready to save the rest of the world from the villain, whether they want to be saved or not. In the past, every decade has got the Superman it deserves. And they don't worry, we'll get ours. But we will probably have a flawed more than Superman that we look to. Because that's how America is. It can be very negative, very critical, not liking on things. I don't know if all Americans don't want to aspire to be something that someone says. But this guy who wrote this comic strip knew that there are a lot of people in America that don't want to be told what to do. And God knows people like that. The Israelites were like that. Israel had gotten to the point where they didn't want God or anyone else to tell them what they should aspire to do or be. God is saying, this is my standard. They're saying, well, here's our cisterns, and this is where we're going to stay, comfortable. They wanted to dig their own cisterns, to drink their own water. They did not want God to tell them what to do. Now, it's not that they didn't want God. I mean, they didn't wake up one day and say, you know what, I'm not serving God anymore. That wasn't their attitude. They just wanted comfortable, comfortable ability, comfortability. That's the word. Now, how did the Israelites get like this? I think that's important for us to talk about so we don't become like this. Look in Jeremiah chapter 2. Let's go back to Jeremiah 2. You've got to remember, they were still religious people. It wasn't like they didn't want to serve, but look in verse 8. Jeremiah 2, verse 8. The priest did not ask, where is the Lord? Those who deal with the law did not know me. The leaders rebelled against me. The prophets prophesied to Baal following worthless idols. See, these people still had priests. They still had prophets. They still had people that dealt with the law. The problem was not that Israel stopped being religious. They simply got into the habit of creating God in their own image. They wanted gods, but they wanted gods that would allow them to dig their own wells. Gods that would mold into their own lifestyle. They knew they couldn't tell the one true God what to do. So they didn't want to follow him. But they wanted to be able to control how their religion was. 
During the first Gulf War, Ann Landers asked citizens to send letters of encouragement to our soldiers. She asked that we address the letters to any service member, Operation Desert Storm, and put Operation Dear Abby on the return address. Franklin Graham, president of Samaritan's Purse, heard about the campaign and decided to get involved. He purchased a million tracts printed in Aramaic and distributed them to churches, who in turn gave them to their members to send their letters to the soldiers to distribute in Saudi Arabia. Now, this didn't set well with the Arabs, who, though they were glad to have Americans there shedding their blood to defend them, they didn't want to allow them to share their faith. American soldiers were not even allowed to wear a cross. So the general called the military chaplain and with the rank of colonel and ordered him to call Franklin and confront him about what was going on. In his book, Rebel with a Cause, Graham tells of the conversation with the chaplain. The chaplain said, we as chaplains are not here to evangelize. We're here to provide for the spiritual needs of our men and women in uniform. Our responsibility is to them only, period. Is that understood? Graham replied, Colonel, I appreciate that. Everyone in this country is backing and supporting our men and women in uniform. We're proud of you. But I'm going to be honest with you, sir. The religious unfairness has upset me and a lot of America. Our men and women are being to put their lives on the line, possibly to spill their blood to protect the oil over there. And you, chaplain, can't even wear a cross in public. The Saudis want our blood, but they don't want what we believe in. Graham wrote, after I finished, a hush fell over the line. The colonel finally replied, I understand what you're trying to do. I'm an evangelical as well, but I'm under orders. Graham interrupted with these words, and so am I. Orders from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords to go into all the world and to preach the gospel and make disciples of every nation. See, the problem was the chaplain was confronted by a very uncomfortable situation. Without realizing what had happened, he had begun to dig his own wells, his own sister. He allowed his God to be molded by his job. The God he thought he loved had morphed into a God that would not offend anyone. And he accepted a substitute instead of the real God. And see, this is where we need to be careful that we don't fall into the same trap. We need to be careful not to compromise our faith, not to have some kind of generic faith. Because the generic brand may seem just as good as the real thing, but you don't pay the same price for the real thing. And you can do that when it comes to generic cereal or some medication, but you cannot do that with your spiritual life. Because the price God asked for us to pay, he looks back and see, look at what my son did for you. That's the cost of real, genuine faith. Now, you can take that generic stuff that you watch on television, that you let the media describe, that you let your coworkers describe and your classmates describe. You can take that generic faith, but it's not going to get you to the one true real heaven. And so what you got to ask is, my generic faith leads me to a generic heaven. Is that what I really want? 
See, we got to be careful not to let other people determine how you're going to live and act as a Christian. We got to avoid substitutes for God. And there are a lot of substitutes for God. Some relationships are substitutes for God. I don't feel close to God. I don't feel like God is giving me the man or woman I need right now, so I got to do it myself. You're going to dig your own cistern, which is actually going to turn into your own grave, because you are not waiting for the Lord to be the one true God. You're going to dig your own cistern. See where that gets you? Trouble. So, how do we not fall into this? Well, very simple. Here's the answer to it all. Accept no substitutes. Accept no substitutes. What does that mean? That means you need to read your Bible and pray every day. You cannot, you, you, you cannot say, man, the Bronx has an incredible, great evangelist. I just want to listen to him. You need to find out. Well, that's true. But you need to find out for yourself. Don't just go off of what I'm telling you. You need to read your Bible for you every day. Why? Because so many of us have heard stuff from preachers that isn't truly accurate. We heard stuff from the media that's not truly accurate. You know, admit it. Growing up, we all thought Adam and Eve bit the apple in the garden. And the Bible does not say it was an apple. It was fruit. We all thought there was two elephants and two giraffes getting on the ark. The Bible does not say that. Seven clean, two unclean. I mean, it, it just kind of blows our mind to think of all the things we were taught for so long that aren't really biblical. There are some things we say to each other that we've said it so many times, we think it's biblical because we've said it so many times in church, and it's not truly biblical. You have not because you ask not. I ain't in the Bible like that. It's something similar, but it does not say that in the Bible. I've asked to win a lotto a whole lot of times, and I ain't never won. But see, we get caught up in our own systems. And sometimes it's because we're too lazy to read and find out for ourselves. That's a fact. You know why? Because it's easier to call somebody up and say, hey, is this true? Hey, is this right? Hey, look for yourself. We got to remember, Jesus died for you. Jesus didn't die so somebody else can give you all the answers. If you are not reading and praying for your own spiritual growth every single day, you are merely digging your own sister. In other words, you have your own religion you're following. This is what God is saying, but this is where you're at because you're too lazy to get in there and see what God is saying. Woo, I ain't get that many amens on that one, did I there? Again, this is why we need to have one-on-one mentoring, two-on-two mentoring. We need people in our lives bringing us back to the Bible and not just giving opinions. There's a whole lot of second opinions, but that's not in the Bible. Everybody got an opinion. So the first thing, but not taking substitutes, is we need to read and pray every day. Secondly, we need to have somebody that is spiritually helping you. Spiritually helping you. I'm not talking about just your good old boy that y'all, me and George been friends so long, we just tight, we good like that. 
You can be such good friends that you don't really deal with each other's hearts. Because you've known them for so long, you're so used to them being like that, you can't see the stink of their sin. If you were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. We've got to make sure we're helping each other. Jeremiah 2.8, God condemned the priest in Jeremiah's day because it says here, the priest did not ask, where is the Lord? The priests did not seek God. They were not in the scriptures looking for God. They just got stagnant where they were. We're the priests. That's just how it is. That's just tradition. Let's just go for it. Guys, you got to investigate them. When I'm looking at some prescriptions, I'm looking at Allegra because I got bad allergies, and I'm looking at CVS. And, and actually, the ingredients, what I look at, and they're like all the same, except maybe one. And I'm looking at this, I'm like... I don't even know what this word means. I call up Dr. Merwin. What is this word? Z-W-V-X-P-Q. I, can't, I don't know what the word is, so i got to spell it out for the man. Now, a lot of times we get to that in our spiritual faith, and we read something like, oh, I don't know what that is. So then we just skip over it and keep going. We don't take the time to dig deeper to find out what is that really about. I don't understand it. Let me spell it out. So many times we read something and we just read it and just keep going. And don't try to just slow down and understand the meaning of it. We need people in our lives that we can go to to help us dig deeper than where we're already at. Look in verse, or chapter 29, Jeremiah 29. Now at this point, I want to ask our evergreen ministry to start making their way on up for our, just make your way up. So do not be distracted by the men and women in white as they're walking away. You should be looking for Jeremiah 29. Verse 11. Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. God isn't talking about a half-hearted Sunday worship here, going through the motions. He's talking about seek me with all your heart. That means if you got to get up 20 minutes earlier, you get up 20 minutes earlier to read your Bible. That means if you got to stay up later, you stay up later. See, it's not talking about being stagnant and building your own cisterns that just sit there. That's not speaking with all your heart. That's still being comfortable. And sometimes we can get to where we're just comfortable in our spiritual lives and we don't even like challenge or anybody getting involved in there. That's not a true disciple. Because I'm sure not only did we hear, but we teach. A disciple means you go anywhere, do anything for God. I got four rights out of that. I guess everybody didn't read that same scripture. But that's what we committed to doing. Yes, Jesus is Lord. I'll do whatever. I'm going to make it happen. And we're excited that first week. Week three comes and that alarm clock go off. No, no, no. That's the devil. We're hitting it. We start building our own cisterns early in our spiritual life. Look in Psalm 63. 
Psalm 63, verse 1. This is David, something that David wrote. In verse 1 it says, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory because your love is better than life. My lips will glorify you. David is saying there are no substitutes. He's crying out there. There's nothing else that will satisfy me except being with you. David literally felt that he would die of thirst if he accepted anything else other than God. Why? Because God has a promise of a better life for each one of us. So the question is, why should I settle for a cistern, stagnant life? When God says, I'm here to give you life to the full. I'm here to give you a hundred times as much, whatever you gave up. And sometimes we forget that. Because we think, you know, we just get rid of this little situation, maybe something good will happen. God promises us he will give us a hundred times as much in this present age and then eternal life to come. You know, all through the scriptures, there are stories of men and women who face temptation to compromise. It says in the book of Acts, when they were persecuting the Christians, they would go to their house and drag people out. A husband and wife, they would say, denounce the Lord or I'm going to kill your spouse. And they said, no, I'm faithful to God. They would ram a sword right through their spouse right in front of them to make them stop following God. They would take their kids and bring them out and put sheepskin around their kids and say, if you don't denounce the Lord, we're going to feed your kids to the wild dogs. They say, we are faithful to God. And they would throw their kids right in front of them and make them watch the wild dogs ravage their kids and kill them. That's the kind of things in the Bible, and those are in the Bible, you can look at that. I'm not making that one up. That they had to go through for their faith. That's called a genuine faith. That's not a generic faith. So when it comes time for you, when your coworkers are asking you to do something that you shouldn't be doing, do you have generic faith or genuine faith? When your evangelist is calling you to another level in your ministry, do you have genuine faith or generic faith? The first thing that pops in your mind, is it something negative and how it's not going to work and how this is not good? And, or is it, you know what, let's see what God's going to do. What kind of faith are you going to walk out of here with? You know what, you may have walked in with generic faith, but here's the thing. All you got to do is say, I'm no longer going to accept substitutes. And now you can walk out with a genuine faith. It's just that simple. We don't have to repent for five months and fast for six years. And No, 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 no. You can make a decision right now. I'm going to quit building my own sisters. I'm going to listen to the word of God. I'm going to have a genuine faith. And that's what I like about the evergreens here. Because even in their mature age, They're still listening to the Word of God. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I know she probably wouldn't want me to say this, but I ain't going to tell you which one it was. 
One of these ladies fell coming up the stairs, and she hit her head, got a little knot on her head. Now, you wouldn't even know because she was one of the people singing up here, you need to smile. Even when times are hard, you need to smile. Even when life is bad, you need to smile. You wouldn't even know because they were all smiling. Even though she was in pain, she thought more about God and about how she can please and serve you than her own self. Now, I don't know exactly how old she is, but she's older than all of us, or maybe. Point being, we have no excuse because God is giving you an example in front of you, showing you you need to smile. You need some genuine faith. Some of us would have failed, be like, nope, I ain't going up there. I'm done. I'm going home. I'm mad at everybody. He shouldn't ask me to sing anyway. I'm mad at the preacher. I'm mad at Corey. I'm mad at everybody. I'm going home. Where's my assessor ride? I need my assessor ride. It ain't even here on time. Where's my ride at? We should be mad at everything. But a genuine Christian would still come up here and smile, even though it hurts him going to smile. I want to encourage us with this. We need to walk away making a decision to have genuine faith. Accept no substitutes, build no cisterns, listen to God, and give God the glory. Amen?